do our labor laws in South Africa allow you to do that quite easily? The short answer is yes. The short answer is there are ways um, of of creating a, a more flexible, variable um, uh, structure with, with on the people side. Hello again, it's me, Peter Bruce, with my final podcast of the year. I've really enjoyed this minor switch from writing and pontificating to asking people who really know what they're talking about, simple questions about the things that intrigue me. Podcasts from the edge, as I've called them, are even beginning to develop a small but hopefully perfectly formed listenership. Next year will be a blast and you can pick the podcasts up not only from the Financial Mail website, but we're now on Iono, Apple Podcasts and Spotify. I'm promised is on the way. My guest today is the best kind of South African. Nothing ever seems to get him down. Get on now because just would you believe, started a new airline. It's called Lyft and it flew its first passengers last week. You'll know the name. Get on Novak gave the traveling public Kalula.com, which he founded, and the Slow Lounge, which, if you're a British Airways customer, were, um, was easily the best way to travel inside South Africa. He then left the airline business, passed through Discovery as head of Vitality and Digital, and through his own company, uh, Loose Adventures, he's been easing in, or had been easing into the hotel business in a typically innovative way. I first took it on seriously because of a comic. Uh, it was, and I think I'm right, get on the original in-flight magazine for Kalula. I think it was called Kalula.comic. Um, I don't know what happened to it, but it sparked the idea for, for the Wanted magazine you now get with Business Day every month, uh, and which makes a lot of money for the company. So thank you very much. But get on starting an airline in the middle of an economic catastrophe is surely pushing the innovation button a little hard, no? How's it, Peter? Um, thanks, thanks for having me on your podcast. It's uh, it is a real privilege. Um, uh, I have been asked the question uh, around the state of my sanity or or lack of it, um, and uh, it, it strangely feels quite normal. I never uh, intended getting back into the industry. I was out of the industry for about ten years. Left Comic Lula ten years ago, and uh, lockdown gave me and, and everybody, I guess, a lot of time to think about things, contemplate things, uh, think about opportunities. And one of the obvious opportunities to me was to get back into the industry right now. This idea actually occurred during lockdown. It did. It did. If I can just share with you a little bit about my lockdown story, because it's, I think, quite interesting um, and not to go hopefully too far off topic. But the, the start of lockdown was very traumatic for me and for for many people. And it was traumatic because we had just started a food rescue organization called SA Harvest. And SA Harvest uh, is really um, built around the premise that there is this this massive quantum of wasted food uh, in the system that uh, that gets chucked out. And yet you've got millions of people that go hungry every night. And when lockdown hit, there was this kind of terrible fear that I had that we had just started this organization a few months before and that there were going to be literally millions of people going hungry. So uh, the, the, the short story is that the first three months of lockdown was spent uh, building up SA Harvest, which today is an organization that 
uh, provide 75,000 meals every week um, out of food that's been rescued from various places. And uh, it was just, you know, turned, it, it, it basically, for me, became an incredibly meaningful and purposeful time from a time, you know, that initially was so depressing and, um, and, and, and kind of uh, upsetting. Uh, and then, you know, kind of when that got settled, uh, my mind went back to industry and opportunities in, uh, in the commercial world. And, and the airline, for obvious reasons, or maybe not so obvious reasons, was, was something that, you know, was also an industry, was an industry that was dramatically impacted and has been dramatically impacted by the pandemic. But within that, there was this incredible opportunity to start something new and take advantage really of the situation that was unfolding. How, how did, and the situation that was unfolding, how did you read it? I mean, you know, there was destruction everywhere. I think I also, um, the Air Travel, International Air Travel Association says airlines are going to lose $84 billion this year. So where's the, what is it about you as an entrepreneur, and maybe all entrepreneurs are like this, um, that sees the opportunity inside, inside such a mess. What can you fix? You know, because it's not as if there aren't other airlines around. There's your old airline, Comair and Kalula, still there, and um, Safair is around. Where's your? What do you see? Well, there were two things, Peter. Really, the one is that the existing model um, I felt was quite broken, even before COVID. And the existing airline model is very much a supply-driven model. It's a model driven by, you know, let's let's buy all these aircraft or let's lease all these aircraft. Let's take on this huge fixed commitment um, every month. And let's hope that the demand is there to create a profitable enterprise. Now, obviously, you know, there's times when that's worked really well. And there's times, you know, pre-COVID where it's worked particularly badly when the demand drops off. And there've been several of those episodes in the world, nothing as bad as COVID, but where that has really, um, you know, dramatically impacted the industry. Um, so the, the opportunity really was to create a demand-driven airline. In other words, an airline that can scale up and scale down very quickly and easily based on demand. Really with the understanding and uh, that we have no idea what's, what, how demand is going to unfold. In fact, even as we sit here today, um, our president's going to talk tonight about, you know, potential restrictions and, um, and, and, and COVID um, implications around COVID, which may very well impact travel for the next few months. So, um, so, the, so the model really was to take advantage of the surplus of aircraft and resources right now, which, you know, in, in round numbers uh, cost roughly half of what they did pre-COVID. So there's been a dramatic drop um, in the cost of entering the industry. And with that, we've been able to create flexibility around uh, being able to scale up and scale down very, very easily and quickly. So it's, you know, it's a demand-driven airline model, which, you know, ha has the shock absorbers that I think are necessary to to have a sustainable airline going forward. So get on you you can you're saying that if you know I think you started off with three aircraft, uh three Airbus, is that right? Yeah. 
so if if demand were to to um, to increase, uh, you would be able to get your hands on more aircraft and more pilots and more stewards, stewards and and more ground staff. Do, does, do our labour laws in South Africa allow you to do that quite easily? The short answer is yes. The short answer is there are ways um, of of creating a, a more flexible variable um, uh, structure with, with on the people side. Um, I think people are so, particularly in the travel and airline industry, people are so grateful to have an opportunity right now to, just to be involved in, a, in an airline business, uh, pilots, cabin crew, ground staff, that they are, they are willing to work on, on some kind of a variable basis. So, so yes, the short answer is it is possible. There is an abundance, I presume, right now of skills and experience sitting at home. Absolutely, absolutely. And are the are you able to? This has come back a little bit. So your your father was involved in Comair way back in the day. He actually spent his life um, fifty years of it, yeah. um, and pretty much his entire career in in the airline business with Comair. He was. One of the yeah. early people there, he ran the company. Um, he uh, he built up he built up the business. Um, he, he built up the airline, and um, just, uh, just just such a a, a wise a, a wise man. Um, yeah, very very strategic. Did you go up, up sort of airplane crazy like I did and run out the you know run out onto the veranda every time you heard one flying overhead or? He he was uh, very kind of unemotional about um, aeroplanes. For him, it was it was a business, and um, and he was always very unemotional about any any decisions that needed to be made. Um, we were th- uh, three boys and a, and my sister, and the three boys were completely mad about aeroplanes. We all learned to fly, and uh, you know we would fly everywhere. You know, it was a, a weekend away. We'd be hopping on a plane somewhere just because. There was always um, aircraft involved. We used to wake up early on. You know, one of my best childhood memories was waking up at the crack of dawn and uh, driving off to Jansmatz Airport, which was called at the time, and getting onto a DC-3. Now, DC-3, for those who don't know, was an old World War II aircraft um, that that Comair got at the time to fly people to Skakuza and Palabora. And we would uh, hop onto one of those planes. It, they flew very slowly. It took about almost two hours to get to Skakuza and uh, spent a beautiful weekend in the bush. So very much part of my uh, my childhood. And um, But I also kind of became quite unemotional. I, I, I suppose I learned over the years to not be too attached about material things and you um, leave businesses um, at the right time, hopefully, and uh, but it's uh, it does strangely feel quite uh, quite incredible to be back in the industry and connecting with people that have been in the industry for a long time, and um, mm-hmm. and it, and it's flying. Flying is a still a miraculous thing. And and so the first conversation about starting an airline because you've done this twice now, you did it uh, and. Please correct me if I've got my history wrong, but you and Eric Fenter founded Kalula together. Um, um, yeah. I'm not sure whether that was before or after the alliance with British Airways and Comair. Um, it was after. Okay. 
But I mean, what is the what are the first conversations about starting an airline sound like, and who's there? I mean, is it you know, is it over a drink, and and do you sort of is it wistful, or do you sit down and you know punch out numbers, and um, uh, you know, is it a business conversation, or is it or is it a you know, does it have a slightly more dreamlike quality about it? It just sounds so. It sounds so awesome. I've I've always wanted to own my own airline, but of course I never will. But you, yeah, yeah, you are. You've done it again. Well, it's um, you know, it starts off with a thought, I guess, like any ideas, and um, in terms of the spectrum of let's say ideas versus implementation, I'm definitely more on the spectrum of on the side of um, generating ideas and hoping that I can pull together people that are really good at implementing them. And one of the things that I've learned with ideas and thoughts is to stress test them and try and talk to as many people that think it's a bad idea as possible. Because in that way, you know, either they'll convince me that it's a bad idea, which oftentimes it is, or they'll just help me refine what's a potentially good idea into a really practical, um, implement, implementable um, a solution. So that was the start of it. The start was, you know, getting a, th a thought in my head and it was not that long ago. It was probably five or six months ago. And, yeah. and then really just stress testing it and, and talking to people, uh, people in the industry, people outside of the industry um, and, uh, and, and stress testing the model as, uh, as much as possible. And, uh, and that was, you know, and then, and then I start getting quite energized and particularly when, you know, quality people start jumping on board. You know, that's when I really start getting excited. And 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 get on just one little bit more. If we can just stick with the boy's own fantasy for a moment. Yeah. Um, how do you? How do you? You mentioned the DC threes that you flew to Skakuza on. Um, uh, I think that was how Comair started, right? With two, with two, what they called Dakotas. I think they had some fair childs before, like smaller planes. I think they were like 14 seaters yeah. or something. And then the DC-3s were, I think, like 20, 22, 23 seaters. Yeah. And uh, they, came, they came after. But, yeah, they flew them for quite, quite a long time. And how do you then decide what aircraft you want to fly? I mean, obviously, there's some maths involved because you know what sort of routes you want to service. And uh, you, you've presumably leased your aircraft, not bought them. The, the, the foundation of the, this airline is actually um, Global Aviation, which is an existing company, which um, I only met the guys just over a year ago. And um, it's quite interesting because their business is a what's called a wet leasing business. And what that means yeah. is basically they provide leasing services to other airlines. So think of it as a B2B airline. Yeah. Where, uh, Airlines, even like Comair, um, when Comair needed additional aircraft on a short to medium term basis, they would go to Global and say, you know, I need an aircraft for a week or two weeks. And, and Global would have, you know. Global is a South African company. Yes. They, uh, they're a South African company. They, um, they do work all around the world, but are based in South Africa. And uh, they have the aircraft, they have the crews, they have the maintenance, all the support infrastructure, uh, but they were never a B2C player. And obviously, you know, that's my real interest is the customer side of the airline business. I love the aircraft. I love the, 
you know the kind of hardcore infrastructure but yeah. um certainly no expert at in, in in that area and so um working with with global and obviously they're a licensed domestic airline so they had all the regulatory issues taken care of as well um working with them was really a way to structure it uh in such a way that uh, me and my team could focus on helping on the customer side the marketing side the sales side and uh and 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 the customer experience you know creating a customer experience that um that is different and and fresh and unique yeah that's what i wanted to ask you about i mean what is what is flying lift going to feel like and how how different will it feel you know flying kalula was it was always the sort of you know there were the jokes and uh, and the and the comic as i said earlier on as your in flight magazine um what is lift going to do what what what's the what will people remember well for a start one of the functional things that we figured would be meaningful would be to create full flexibility on any tickets that are booked so we saw a gap in terms of um not you know being price competitive but including in the value proposition this ability to change and cancel and it's interesting i think covid has has really helped some businesses evolve and and become more relevant and this was an area that i think will um will will help advance the airline industry it's typically an industry where you transact with an airline you know you get all excited you buy your ticket you you pay the money and and once you've done that it almost feels like the tables are turned and you are almost like a victim to to the airline you know if you want to go and change your ticket there are hurdles there are costs um you know when it comes to all the rules and regulations it, it it kind of often feels that you are you know just just a victim and you are at the mercy of of the yeah. airline and I'm I'm generalizing there's some wonderful airlines out there and I don't mean to say they are all like this but we just you know we 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 just want to turn that a little bit in in saying that firstly on flexibility if you buy a ticket you are there's a chance that you're going to want to change it or cancel it that that is included in the price and there's no fuss and fees around that so that's kind of at at the functional level but I've always thought yeah. of um marketing or um in 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 different dimensions there's the functional which hopefully one can differentiate but then at an emot at an emotional level and an experiential level there is the ability to make people feel good you know just to uplift and that's i guess part of the naming and why the name is relevant just to uplift how people feel not only during the experience but how they feel about the brand and uh, and there's there's a few things we're doing you know we're doing the um coffee with vida e we're doing the the crew are kitted out by superbalist but the yeah. bigger theme that i'm hoping we can unpack is this idea that south africa is this incredibly rich um uh place with with talented energetic inspiring people and businesses and i just feel that particularly during the this year that we've had this 2020 year that we've kind of been beaten a bit and we've feeling you know we're feeling beaten we're feeling um that we can't compete uh in the world we just don't have i don't think uh, a high level of confidence about ourselves and about our, our country uh we've been through 10 years of of zuma and 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 all that that's brought um and yet 
the the talent uh, and the energy is still there. And what we want to do, not only within the organization, and, uh, but with the collaborations that we create with other South African businesses and enterprises, is just to highlight the fact that we are, we you know, we have it. We actually have it right here. Not only do we have the most beautiful country to visit and explore, uh, we have this country of um, incredibly talented people that uh, that are just uh, bursting to it, you know, to 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 be the best that they can, and we just want to be a platform for for that uh, incredible talent that exists within our country. Well, if I were to ask you what the investment case is for South Africa now, how would you describe it? Well, I mean, firstly, I'm the, you know the the area that I I can talk I can talk to with some level of confidence is uh, is tourism and um, you know as a tourist destination it is one of the best in the world um, Cape Town as a city is one of the most sought after tourist destinations in the world not to mention the bush and you know the many other appealing things about this country um, pre-covid one of the fastest growing Industries in the world was uh, was was tourism, and that's that was driven by or has been driven by the growing middle class in emerging countries like China and India. At the same time, the place that people, and particularly younger people, are wanting to spend their money is on experiences, as opposed to buying products and um, and things. And so, coming back to South Africa, we seem to be so well positioned uh, as an experiential tourism destination um, to uh, to attract people from around the world in much, much bigger numbers than we have in the past. So I'm very bullish about that. It's obviously a huge potential employer um, in this country. It fits our kind of skill set of semi-skilled people, um, doesn't require high levels of uh, skills and training. And uh, and it's the one sector that I really do think, and and it's an export, it's it's an export product. It brings in foreign currencies. So it's an export you know, that you you just sit there and they bring you the money rather than the other way around. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's it's in, it's interesting to get on. I mean, what is your what's your gut telling you about the next couple of years? You know, you think of the Spanish flu, yeah, uh, 1918, 1919. And what follows the Spanish flu? Devastating. The 50 million plus people die, um, uh, and it comes after you know a devastating war. And then you yeah. have what remembered as the Roaring Twenties, where everybody went crazy. Um, yeah. And people, you know, made a lot of money and started businesses and got over it. What are the chances? Do you think that we could get swept up in something like that? I mean, obviously, one doesn't know. You're not a you know, just um, a crystal gazer, but but I can't help thinking that this, that we, along with other countries, are going to just explode when this thing is passed. Yeah, yeah, I, I hope so. Um, the um, you know you, you know because you know I realise how poor um, collectively our ability is to predict and forecast and uh, anticipate the. Um, you know, I, I I really have kind of built a skill to almost block out the macro um, in the world. You know, not being naive to what's going on, but just 
really understanding how little control I have over it. And the, um, the ability to be agile and, uh, you know, it's, it's become a little bit of a cliche, but it's such a relevant one, I think, in the times that we're in. Um, agility both ways, you know, agility to pounce when the opportunity is there and agility to, you know, take it easy when things are looking really bleak. Um, yeah. is, uh, is, I think, in, uh, the most important thing and the most important thing in, you know, not only in business, but I think just living through these times, just to have an agile mindset that things are definitely going to change. They are, the, 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 the impact may well be quite dramatic, but the real question is how does one adapt and, and even take advantage in, uh, in a changing environment? Talk about a little bit about your competitors, and I don't mean to. Uh, I'm not going to invite you to badmouth them, but they all have their strengths. Um, uh, Safair seems to be incredibly, um, uh, you know, tightly managed, and and uh, uh, its aircraft take off on time and push back when they say they're going to push back. And I haven't flown Mango for a long time, but its aircraft were always really good to sit in great seats, even in coach. Um, SAA is obviously on the ground for probably, you know, quite a while longer, if not forever. Um, uh, and then your old stamping ground of, you know, Kalula and, and presumably British, the British Airways franchise will continue. Um, where, do, where do you see your biggest rivalry that who who do you keep track of well firstly the opportunity we've spotted is to create a niche in the in in, in the market and particularly on the Joburg Cape Town route it's um it's one of the busiest routes in the world it's actually the 12th busiest air route in the world right. can you yes. believe yep. um and so there's very good volumes on the route and we see an opportunity to create a niche we don't have to be the biggest um we've kind of worked out that there are more diseconomies of scale in an airline than economies of scale. So there's no real motivation to become bigger from an efficiency point of view. We can be very efficient as a relatively small player. So the competitive environment is, is less of an issue in that context. Um, there are good competitors. And you know, I'll mention Safair specifically because I think they've really done a good job. And I take my hat off to Elmar and his team. Um, they've looked, they've, they've, they've Firstly, taken advantage again of a changing circumstance where they found themselves to be the only really viable competitor in the space, and uh, and they and they just run a good operation. And I often, whenever I fly with them, I send uh, Elmar a message afterwards to compliment him on uh, on what they're doing. So we're mindful of um, of you know, competitors, but it's certainly there's so much that we can do and will do on our own. And uh, and I think there's more in, more than enough space to create a niche within the industry. The the, the possible revival of SAA um, uh, with the support of the state must concern anybody in the private part of the airline business um, because they are crowders they are crowder out outers rather than crowd inners. Um, what what are the chances do you think of ever getting that airline back into the air? It's a, I don't know the answer. Um, it's it's been curious to anybody, you know, why why government is pursuing um, SAA. Um, 
Guy Leach, one of the aviation top aviation commentators, worked out that they're going to need another 40 billion to sustain it, um, much more than the kind of 10 billion that was initially put out there. So, so there there doesn't seem to be any logic. I mean, if there is, nobody I've met can articulate it or explain it. Um, but 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 it's a factor, and you know, again, like we've got to plan our business. Um, regardless of whether SA, you know, government d- decides to put for another forty billion into SAA or not, um, and again, the niche I think is the way to do it. I think to be yeah. to have aspirations to be uh, mainstream and a large player with that kind of uncertainty, I think would, you know, introduce a, a, a lot of risk. Um, so, so let's see. You know, at Come, we competed with SAA for decades. Uh, we competed well. We made profits every year, and you know they they just were not able to compete effectively. You know, given the constraints that a that a state organisation has, it just yeah. you know even if it wants to compete, it can't compete. Even if it, it it just you know almost by design cannot be a efficient competitive force in the market. So so it's almost it it it, it will fail by design. Um, which is hopefully what what you know what what government will realize yeah. is that it 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 will fail, and uh, as much as we would all you know like it not to fail, um, but design it will yeah. fail. To begin to just end this, so I mean, one of the important things about SAA isn't necessarily the airline, but the technical capacity that it has or that it maintains to uh, offer other airlines, and I'm sure I think Comair did for many years have a service agreement with SAA Technical. That surely is worth saving the capacity, the technical capacity at SAAT. Um, There are alternatives. Um, You know, it was, um, there there are alternative maintenance infrastructures. The, um, just at at Global, you know, Global's got a, quite a substantial Airbus shop, uh, maintenance shop. Um, Lufthansa Technic are assisting Comair on the Boeing side. Um, so I think a lot less so, Peter, than maybe a few years ago. I think it's viable competition. Um, but there may well be parts of SAHT that can be spun off and, you know, operate yeah. independently, I guess, yeah. at some point. And, Giron, the, the, um, um, the, the return of the Boeing, what is it, the 800 MAX, which has been grounded for all this time after those accidents, Will that make a difference to the to the airline business? I mean, would you 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 obviously gone with Airbus and and that's going to be part of your your brand, I suppose, for a while. But the arrival of this other aircraft would it would it make your competitors like Comair, who who are, who are buying it, I believe, um, do they become tougher competition because of it? I don't think so. Um, you know, I think there's there's quite a lot a long way to go to get people's confidence back. In uh, in that aircraft, it's had a, obviously a very difficult start, um, and you know people you know people need to feel comfortable. Um, you know, I don't think necessarily that brand new aircraft are sustainable in the in the South African context. I don't. It's not the right model for the for the South African market. Um, the fares the airfares can't sustain new aircraft in normal times. The interest rate. Um, and the repayments on the the loan or the lease payments 
aren't sustainable. So I think that the right aircraft for the South African market are very good used aircraft. I think that is that is the model with good maintenance infrastructure, yeah. ideally in, in-house, ideally managed in-house, not outsourced. Uh, then you have control of the maintenance and also you don't lose that, uh, that margin to an outside maintenance provider. So yeah, so I, th- I think new aircraft will be will be challenging in the in the current in the South African market. You know, if we want to fly with you, um, you you're flying at the moment just between Do- uh, Cape Town and Johannesburg. Is that right? Yeah, we're also doing some flights to George from Johannesburg, but just over the holiday season. Okay, and and how do we find you if we want to book a flight? Well, just on the lift.co.za website. Okay, that easy. Um, that's yeah, it's, it's that simple. That's the easiest way. And if you miss the flight, does your business model stretch to saying, "Oh, don't worry, you can take the next one"? Um, you, you know, we 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 haven't had that uh, uh, that that scenario yet. We we want to be very flexible. Um, if you if you miss a flight and we have a seat available on you know on the next flight, we may well be accommodating. It's not part of our kind of proposition, but we do aim to be flexible and accommodating. One of the things we also want to do is if people arrive early, which often business travelers do, um, we will just, and there's a seat available on the earlier flight, we'll just uh, accommodate you on that earlier flight and not have any hassles of going to rebook. So we're just trying to introduce as much flexibility as is commercially viable. Yeah. Giron, Novik, thank you so much for joining me. Let's hope President Sir Ramaphosa doesn't... um, um, you know, doesn't do too much damage to the uh, tourism industry when he speaks tonight, but he's obviously got a serious problem with the resurgence of COVID-19. Um, and lots of good luck to yourself and to Lyft. And, you know, sort of thanks for your optimism. Thanks for being around and always coming up with something um, bright and new to, uh, you know, to give us all some sort of reassurance that we're still living in a, in a living, breathing country. You're a, you're, a, you're a national treasure. Thank you for joining Thank us. You. You're very kind. Thank you, Peter. So nice to chat to you. Take care. Well, that wraps it up for uh, podcasts from the edge for 2020, the worst year certainly uh, in my memory. And I look forward to carrying on next year. I'm really enjoying talking to the people who have agreed to come onto the show. I hope you've enjoyed listening. Um, uh, Paige Muller, my fantastic producer, uh, is always sort of there to back me up and, and help me get through technically difficult things. And she assures me that not only are we available on the FM website, but we are now available as an Apple podcast as well. If you want to listen on your phone while you're driving, while you're on holiday, and we'll soon be on Spotify uh, as well. So please join me with Podcast from the Edge from about the middle of January. We'll get some really good guests on and have some fun. Have a good and safe holiday and take care out there.